As we finish up the series on Your Life Counts, everybody wants to have their life count. We're going to look at this last section. The last five weeks we've been looking at a plan to attack the five biggest problems in the world. That's what we've been doing for the last little while. The global giants are spiritual emptiness. And we want to attack that by planting churches that promote reconciliation this way and this way. And we talked about equipping servant leaders. Servant, not celebrity. There's no such thing as a celebrity leader. They are servant leaders. You want to be the greatest, you must become the least. You must serve. I didn't come to be served, but to serve, Jesus said. As does he, so should we. Then we talked about assisting the poor. Not underwriting the poor, but assisting the poor. And last week we talked about caring for the sick. So have a guess what we're going to look at today. We're going to look at today... Because of the lack of education, we need to educate the next generation. Today, we're going to focus on the fifth element of the peace plan. And I want to kick off in Joel, the book of Joel, chapter 1 and verse 3. So if you have your Bibles, whip them out. If you don't, look on the screen. I start from here, the principle that's contained in this scripture. Tell your children about these things, then let your children tell their children, and let your grandchildren tell their children. There's a baton, there's a, there's a transfer going on here of knowledge. And God says we have a responsibility to pass on what we know to younger, those younger than us. There's a responsibility to every person, not just parents. Not just parents. Now somebody passed on to you information that helped you grow and helped you succeed in life. And God expects you to pass on information to others, the next generation, people who are younger than you. And so today, this is what we're going to focus on, educating the next generation, and it's going to talk to you personally. Personally. Isaiah 38 verse 19 says this, Each generation can make known your faithfulness to the next. So today, this is foundational. I'm going to look at the five building blocks Five building blocks that help people grow. The basis for education, biblically. And Jesus modeled all of these five with his disciples. And these are simply this. The first building block, if you can imagine like a, I should have actually drawn you one. But basically the first foundation is knowledge. Then we're going to look at, after knowledge, from knowledge... That's base one. Base two is you gain perspective when you have that knowledge. And from that you get conviction, which is far deeper than a whole bunch of facts. Then we move on to skills. And ultimately the goal of all Christian education is character. Christ-like character. That's what we're going to work through this morning. They, they summarize the biblical balance of education. Um, head and heart. Now some of you are wondering, what on earth has this got to do with me? I'm not a parent or my kids have grown. That's what you're thinking. But that doesn't make a scrap of difference today. It doesn't excuse you from helping the next generation which is coming up. Let me demonstrate this. Question, is there anybody younger than you in the world? (laughs) You think so? Of course. If the answer is yes, this message is for you. And God expects you to use this message in your life. No exceptions. In your work, with the people that are around you. In your home, for some of you. For some of you, it's with your relatives or nieces or nephews. Maybe it's your neighborhood. 
Maybe it's with working with interns and younger employees. Or you can even use this at school. Now, studies have shown that the number one determining factor on whether a kid in life makes it or not is the presence of a caring adult. And studies also further discovered it doesn't have to be a parent. It can be anybody that cares. And God expects you and I to care for the next generation. Now, if you want to help people in this area, as God says it, there are five particular building blocks. And anybody can do this, both personally, locally, and globally. So let me tell you again, these things I'm going to give you right now are applicable personally, locally, and globally. And I thought, let's do it simply, the ABCs of helping people grow, because that's part of our call in this world. The first one is help them acquire Knowledge. Help them acquire knowledge. The Bible says in Proverbs chapter 16 and verse 16, it is much better to have wisdom and knowledge than gold and silver. In other words, being smart is far more valuable than being wealthy or just having money. Now, question. How many of you collect things like shells or cards or, or stamps or anything? Have you, anybody ever collected anything? Yeah? Okay, a lot of you. Well, here, in this next verse, God encourages you to collect something. Did you know that? God's going to encourage you to collect something. What is it? God suggests that you collect knowledge and ideas. Look at this, Proverbs 10, 14. First of all, The wise get all the knowledge they can. The wise gain and get all the knowledge they can. Christianity has always been a, a, has always promoted education. Without my people, uh, without um, uh, wisdom, without knowledge, my people are destroyed. Now, why collect knowledge and ideas? Proverbs 24, verse 5. Wisdom brings strength. And knowledge gives power. Actually, I want to just flavor that a little bit. It's the application of knowledge that brings power. I'll discover that later on. And I always used to encourage people that I worked with in corporations and IT and in the business world all the time. It's the same as a Christian. The next verse. In fact, I had it in my office. It's this verse here. The intelligent man or woman is always open to new ideas. In fact, he looks for them. There's a sense in which you should be looking for good ideas all of the time. Now, if you want to be a leader, you've got to be a learner. You cannot be a leader if you're not a learner. Growing businesses require growing people. We used to call ourselves the learning organization. You can't just think, well, I've done my high school, I've done my university, I'm done. If you're not learning, then your organization isn't going to learn, and it's going to get passed over by the competition. You're going to be smoked. And I don't like getting smoked, so you better learn. (laughs) Now, let's turn it around to the home. How do you help kids acquire knowledge? Grandmas, grandpas, mums and dads. Read to your kids early. 
daily. Never miss that. Read them, buy them books, take them on trips, expose them to new things. Look for teachable moments where you can pass on your knowledge and your skill. Like when I go fix a car, I could just go do it myself. But I'd go, Josh, 10 mil. And then next minute, I'll be up here and say, hey, Josh, you put that 10 mil on that, whip off that, 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 and that. Whoa, 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 other way. Turn the wrench the other way. Remember, anti-clockwise undoes, clockwise does. So you pass on those skills by not doing everything yourself. But you look for teachable moments, whether it's computers, whatever your area is. When you're, when you're, when you're cooking, ladies, don't do all the cooking yourself. You teach your kids. So kids also learn that mum isn't another word for slave. And when they get married, their, their partner's going to go, what the heck did you do with this person for the last 20 years? Okay? So, and also, very important, be interested in learning yourself. Did you hear that? Just because you are 30, 40, 50, you need to keep on learning. Be interested in yourself. The Bible says, I haven't put it there, Proverbs 15, 2, when wise people speak, they make knowledge attractive. You may want to write that down. When wise people speak, they make knowledge attractive. Proverbs 15, verse 2, TEV. Another version says from the Living Bible, a wise teacher makes learning a joy. I remember at Massey, there was a, uh, we had a law lecturer. And you thought, good grief, business law, how boring. I would pay money to go to that guy's lecture. I remember I would sit there with tears squirting into my eyes, rolling around the uh, lecture theater, laughing my head off at the way this guy would put stuff. But let me tell you, he made things interesting. I couldn't wait to get to his lecture. It was awesome. He made learning a joy, and he made things stick in the brain. Can you remember a teacher who made you want to learn? You can probably remember some who didn't. How did they do that? Well, they made it fun. They used humor. They made outrageous comparisons to make it stick. Jesus did that. Remember the camel through the eye of the needle? Different things like that? Outrageous statements. And he challenges them. And these people were approachable and they told the stories and they asked provocative, hard questions. You thought, gee, that's a good question. Now, let's move it over to your area of expertise. What do you know most about in your life? How are you sharing that? So there's knowledge, but let me just point out what the Bible says about knowledge. Don't forget the most important thing to know in life. There are things that are far more important. Here it is in Proverbs 1.7. Knowledge begins, the very get-go, point one. It begins with respect for the Lord. So you could get so many degrees, you could call yourself Dr. Celsius. But if you don't have the Lord, it's folly. The Bible says here, some people have missed the most important thing in life. How could you do that? That's stupid. They don't know God. They don't know God. You don't know him, you've missed the most important thing in life, irrespective of what else you know. Now, knowledge is important, but God didn't put you on earth just to get a bunch of degrees. He put you on earth to know him, and if you've missed that, you've missed the most important point, the most important thing to know. That is the basics. And that's why the very first thing 
Jesus modeled with his fellows. In John 17, he says this, Jesus speaking, I showed what you are like to those whom you gave me. See, that was numero uno, the most important thing. So the greatest knowledge that you can give your nephew or your neighbor or somebody at work who asks you, what's about the situation when somebody's died? It's point them towards God and give them knowledge. Tell them how to get to know God. So A is acquire knowledge. Platform. The bottom platform is knowledge. B of the ABCs of helping people grow is this. Help them. Once you've got knowledge, then they can start to broaden their perspective. See how it all fits together. Perspective is learning to see from God's point of view. Because knowledge answers the what, the facts. Here are the facts. The what of life. Perspective answers the why questions of life. Isaiah 55 verse 8 says this. I don't think the way that you think. And the way you work isn't the way that I work, says the Lord. See, point here is God has a different perspective than mostly we do. In so many of our problems, our perspective is often the exact opposite of God given the same facts. For example, when we get hurt, we don't naturally think, well, the way to get over this hurt is to forgive. We think the way to get over this hurt is punch them back, right? Swat on one. It's almost the exact, it is, it's the exact opposite. See, the way we have a perspective on, on, on leadership is we think, well, the way to get greatness is to be served. Jesus says, that's completely the opposite of my kingdom, my kingdom. The way to be great is to be a servant of all. Not to be in the limelight all the time. Or the way to get honor is pump myself up and tell everybody how great I am and how skillful I am. That's what the world thinks. Accolades and plaques and stuff like that. But God says, no, 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 no. The way to be great like that, to honor, is to humble yourself and admit your mistakes. That's so different. That's God's perspective. So as humans, our perspective is limited by space and time. We can't see what's coming ahead. And the Bible talks about our limited perspective, humanly, from, like in this view. In Luke 18, it says, what is impossible from a human perspective, because we can't see, is possible with God. And as you get older and more experienced, your perspective broadens. What you were convinced of when you were 18 is very different to when you were 40. Now, everybody, even in this room, hands up those who are over, say, 60 in this room, if you don't mind admitting such things. <laughs> Okay, these people here, imagine the changes they've seen. They've been through something called a war. Many of us in this room haven't. Do you think they may have a bit of a broader perspective on life than you and I? The Bible says having perspective is a mark of maturity. When I have perspective, I have more love of God. I don't worry as much. See, if I have a very limited perspective, I tend to worry a lot. The more I see of God, the less I worry. The bigger he is, the less my problems seem to be overwhelming. When I have perspective, I say no to temptation because I can see further down the road. I can think, whoa, 
No way am I going to do that. One day, this is going to be on full view for everybody to see. I have some accountability. Because I'm thinking that God, I'm going to stand before his throne one day. When I have perspective, I can handle life's problems easier. The Bible says the righteous fall down seven times, but they get back up again. I'm not going to stay with my face in the mud. And when I have perspective, I avoid error. Don't do that because I see God's perspective. He said, if you do that, it'll lead to that. So I'm getting that perspective. So the question then becomes, how do you help people in your life broaden their perspective, practical application? Number one, encourage Bible reading. I haven't put it out there, but you might want to write this out. There's only two points, and actually three. And write it out the side. Encourage Bible reading. Proverbs 2.6. All wisdom comes from the Lord. Let me say it another way. All truth is God's truth. And so do common sense and understanding. Now one thing I've learnt is that there isn't these days seemingly such a thing as common sense. It's actually, if it was common sense, it would be doing the right thing, but it's not. It should be called rare sense. And Jesus said in John 17, 14, it's one of the things he gave them. He says, I gave them your word. Why did he make that statement? Because his word brings perspective that we can't see in the human eyes. We can't see far enough. But because God's eternal, he superintended those scriptures. He can see far, farther down the road. He says, you do this, that's what the end result will be. Proverbs 16.20, in fact, it says this. Whoever gives attention to the Lord's word prospers. So can you think of somebody in your life, a young adult, who you would like to help? The more they get of God's principles and perspective, the more successful they will be. Because they're building on the truth. Second, introduce those young people in your life to wise people. Fathers, mums, it takes more than mum and dad to grow a family. Introduce your children to wise people. I remember, I didn't have a dad. All of you that are part of New Hope know that. Our dad left a very young age when I was. But my mum was really sharp. She got herself in a group with people who were many fascinating friends with people. And we hung out with them. Businessmen. My next door neighbor, Brian. Sharp businessman. Got to know them and their three girls. We were great. We had a great time together. But I learned an awful lot about business at an early age from this guy. People, farmers, engineers, how to fix stuff. I didn't just learn that. I watched somebody come and fix, and I did. Mum had these people in her lives. Accountants, Gordon, how to do the numbers. He was a CFO for a company called Emolium. And Colin taught me many practical skills and challenged my thinking. Brian did. Smart, intelligent people that put things into your life. The Bible says here, Proverbs 13, 12, 20. Spend time with the wise and you will become wise. But the friends of fools will suffer. So the, let me say it in a sentence. The quality of your life will largely be determined by the relationships you choose to develop. So, the C of the ABCs of growth is this. The third way you help a young person succeed is you help them cultivate conviction. So knowledge is the first step. 
Jacques was helping one of my sons with calculus. That was knowledge. Very practical way of doing that, sharing what he was strong at, freely and liberally. After knowledge comes perspective. Oh, that's how it fits together. In this case, we're going to move towards convictions. You have got to develop deep convictions in your life. Opinions are some things we kind of hold to and you can argue about, but convictions are something that take hold of us. Well, let me give you an instance. How many of you remember a few weeks ago when we were talking about um, assisting the poor, I talked about a, an organization called IJM, International Justice Mission. Anybody remember them? Save people from slavery, fishing boat slavery, 20 odd years, men, slaves held, basically kept at sea, spring them, girls from um, sex slavery. Well, this week, this week, two of the people from them who'd just gone after some uh, corrupt police in Cambodia, you get read about it, this week, I'd just been to the judge at the court and they were pointing out the corruption in Cambodian police. They hopped in a taxi and that was the last I saw of them until they found both of their bodies. Now they knew, they were very well aware of standing up against evil. Now that cost them their lives. Do you think they had concerns before? Yes, but they followed through. Their conviction was deeper than their fear. This is all there is in a very short period of time. And you think, oh, how terrible is that? It is terrible. But you know what? They had, their convictions held them to what they knew they should do and then to stand up against evil. Their convictions. See, this is why a lot of our young people across the world... They never make the transition from, I learned a bunch of knowledge at church. I didn't really get the perspective, and I certainly didn't develop the conviction. Mums and dads and grandma and grandma, listen carefully. It is pivotal that your little grandbabies and your children move from just knowledge, knowing about, to getting perspective on the why, not just these are the facts, why, which will then translate into deeply held conviction. That is the missing step. The people who've made the greatest impact in this world weren't necessarily the wealthiest or even the smartest. They're the ones that held the deepest convictions. Knowing that, I want to lovingly challenge you now, if I was to say to you, you've got 30 seconds to nail your top five convictions in life. Go. What are they? Your top five. Start, please. What are your top five convictions? Your top five convictions. Not just facts, things you are deeply convinced about. Deeply, deeply, deeply. You can carry that on. I want you to feel a bit of that pain. The reason why I want you to lovingly feel a bit of that pain is because if you don't know what they are, how can you pass them on? 
Do you see the motivation behind why I'm asking you that? You can clarify those. Just put to be continued. <laughs> but I want you to be clear. How can you do, how can you pass them on if you don't know what they are? So spend some time thinking about what I remember when my kids were growing up. I had a list of convictions and skills I wanted them to internalize before they left my home. If I didn't have that list, I'd just drift through life. Young people, think about what you want your kids to leave home with. I know you think it's a long way away, but it's a journey. You need to start today. What skills, what convictions, what perspectives do you want them to know about and to own? Here's the problem why I say this. If you don't know what your convictions are, you will be manipulated by the pressures of other people. That's the motivation. You will give in to peer pressure at work where you are pushed around and bullied. If you're not crystal clear on your convictions, you'll give in to peer pressure with your friends. Well, everybody's doing it. Most people today are controlled by circumstances, not convictions. And if you don't stand for something, you'll fall for anything. Hebrews 11.1 1 says this. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Now, I may not sometimes see it all, but I'm convinced of it. And you know what I'm saying. Next verse, Paul's talking in the context about a particular food issue in Romans 14, 14. He says, the Lord has given me the conviction that no food is unacceptable in and of itself. I thank God he put that there. <laughs> I love it. But it is unacceptable for a person who thinks it is. So what he's saying here is never violate your convictions. And if you don't clarify your convictions, you'll be captivated by the culture. And basically, the world's culture is summed up in about four particular values. Pleasure. It says, I want to feel good. That's the first culture, uh, cultural conviction that you'll find the world operates under. If it feels good, what happens? Do it. That's what the world encourages people to do. Then the second world conviction is this, basically. Possessions. And that says, I want to be rich. That's what it's pushing all the time. And you're going to have to deal with that one. Because the world is relentless about doing that. Well, your house has gone up so much. Just take out more mortgage from there. Just refinance and go spend. The world's culture pushes prestige. And basically it's saying this, I want people to envy me. Envy me. Nice job, nice car, house, whatever it may be. Nice wife. Hmm. <laughs> and then the fourth culture, cultural value that they push is the whole area of power. I want to control. That's what it pushes. But the Bible says, on the other hand, God's purposes are more important than popularity. That's what the Bible says. Are you convinced of that? 
Is it the conviction? And people are more important than possessions. And doing the right thing is far more important than doing the convenient thing. You will be challenged on that. I will be challenged on that. So the Bible encourages in 1 Corinthians 16, 13, hold tight to your convictions. How can you do that unless you know what they are? Give it all you've got and be resolute. I love that word, resolute. So, practical application. How do you help kids or the next gen cultivate conviction? How do you do that? Number one is you share with them passionately. Passionately. Convictions, friends, are not taught as much as they're caught. Starts with knowledge, which brings perspective, which eventually turns into conviction. That's how it works. If it, let me say it this way. If it doesn't grab you, it's not going to grab them. And in 1 Thessalonians 1.5, Paul gives kind of an example of this attitude. We brought the good news to you. Not with words only, in other words, knowledge, but also with power and the Holy Spirit and with complete conviction of its truth. In other words, shoot me. I don't care. Crucify me. I saw what I saw. I ain't going back. He is convinced. This is way beyond just the mere facts. So one, how do you help the kids? You share with them passionately. Second, you model um, he modeled them consistently. John says this, um, Jesus says this in John 17. Jesus is speaking, For their sake, I dedicate myself completely to you, Father. In order, why? In order that they too may be truly dedicated to you. See, here's the modeling. He wasn't just giving out the facts, well, you should do this. He modeled it for them. In other words, you be what you want others to be. And just before, I need to modify that statement by putting this in your mind. There is no such thing as a perfect model apart from Jesus, right? So let's be clear. If we had to be perfect before we did anything, we'd never do anything. So don't stress that one. There are no perfect models. A, B, C, D. Very important. Help them develop skills. The skills are the how-to. Very important, especially for men. How-to. So the knowledge is the what, the perspective is the why, the conviction is so what, and the skills are the how-to. How do I do it? Now it's important because exhortation without explanation leads to frustration. Exhortation without explanation leads to frustration. So you need to show how. In Daniel 1.17, the Bible says this, God gave these four young men skill in both books and life. Now notice the two categories of learning skills. There's learning skills and life skills. And encourage your People to do both. The people that you work with, the people, your own children, to do have both. Some kids are quite academic. 
but they're not particularly good in life skills. I knew one guy who was calculating in the days uh, he worked for Boeing and he was calculating the orbit to sling satellites around the back of the moon and off into the, the never yonder. His name is Dr. John Johnson. But that guy, as smart as he was, could take the dog a walk and come back with no dog. <laughs> I kid you not, he's a good friend of mine. Sharp as you can get. But life skills lacking a few. <laughs> he goes shopping and he can't find his car. Serious. <laughs> Point is, you need to help them develop both. The Bible says this in Ecclesiastes 10.10, 10, it's a life verse for me. If the axe is dull, you know that? the edge of it, it's not sharp. If the axe is dull and its edge is unsharpened, more strength is needed. Imagine whacking down a tree when you've got a blunt, jolly axe. You're going to exhaust yourself. Oh, you may get there, but it may take you another two weeks. But it says, if the axe is dull and its edge unsharpened, more strength is needed, but skill will bring success. It says skill, not dedication. Oh, I'm dedicated to this. I'm still going. I've got endurance. All good. But he says, sharpen the axe. Not desire. I want this tree to come down. Oh, I'm just going to keep going. Not moving much. Not dreaming. I can see see it falling down. No, no. But the application of skill will bring success. In other words, work smarter. You probably heard that. That's where management gets its wisdom from, the Bible. You are never wasting time when you sharpen your axe. As a parent, as an employee, and as a student. So how do you help people develop skills? That employee who's not the sharpest tool in the shed, right? Not that skill, that friend, that neighbor, that son, that daughter. Number one, I'd encourage you, as the Bible does, to identify what they are good at. Identify their shape. You may want to write that down the side. Proverbs 22.6 is going to talk about that in a second. It's how God has wired you. You help them find out what they're good at. And you can affirm somebody's skills by saying, you know what? You are really good at that. That's a really good thing to say to your grandchildren, to your children, to your employees, to your friends. You know what? You are really good at that. And you point it out. That simple phrase has changed many persons' perspective because we often don't see what we're good at ourselves. Oh, no, no. But if enough people say that, it finally sinks through and maybe I am good at that. The Bible says this, train up a child in the way he should go. Now that verse is probably one of the most misquoted verses in the Old Testament. It's actually talking about in the way he's naturally bent, in the way he's naturally gifted, in the way that God has actually shaped him to be. So if your guy is an artist, or your gal is an artist, do not try and bend around to being a blooming engineer. Your breaker, 
or him. Because the way God's wired her is over here. She's an artist. You parents need to be really good students of your children and your grand grandparents. Help your parents, your kids, figure out where their kids are good at too. We need to be good students of them. Often even in an organization, sometimes you can have a good employee, uh, or what you think is a problem employee. What the real problem is, you've got them in the wrong place. He or she should be over here, but you've got them doing that job. And they're terrible at that job, but if you move them there, you thought, whoa, hot spot, sweet spot. It's not bad people. Sometimes it's good people in the wrong place. So figure out what their shape is. So the starting point in helping the next generation develop skills is help them see how God has actually wired them. Give them some feedback. Second, encourage them to practice. You might not put that down. Encourage them to practice at what they're good at doing. Philippians 4, 9 underscores this principle. Keep putting into practice what you've learned. That's verbal. From me and saw. That's visual me doing. The way you develop a skill is to practice it. Pretty tried example, but I was convinced I wanted my boys to be very good uh, and well coordinated. So I remember with Stephen one day, we were at Miles Square Park and we threw a ball backwards and forwards to each other, like many of you done, 1,000 times without dropping it. We start, we start again. Practice, 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 practice. So him and Nathan and Josh and those guys, that's how we did it, by practice. You want to go to piano? You've got to practice. You've got to get good at math? You've got to practice. So that's important. So the way you develop a skill is to practice then. This is a very important point where we often miss it. Then you trust them with responsibility. Trust them with responsibility. You let them go and let them do it on their own. In John 17, 18, Jesus is speaking again. Remember, he's always our model. He says, as you, Father, sent me into this world, I have sent them into the world. Uh-oh. Question, could Jesus have done a better job than the disciples? Undoubtedly. No doubt. But he entrusts the future of the world to these. Actually, 11 guys. And the idea is, if you want to get a job done right, you do it yourself. Is a great idea for you, but it's a terrible idea for the next generation. You'll never pass it on. In management, we used to say, if a person can do a job 80% as good as you, let them go for it. In most cases, that's the case, unless it's accounting, and then no exceptions. <laughs> that has to be perfect. You trust them with responsibility. Now, you, here's the thing, right? You have got to let people fail. Mm, I don't like that. Don't make all the mistakes yourself as a boss. Share them around. <laughs> you know, pass the blame around. It's always good. People respond to responsibility. If you treat your kids like babies... You'll be changing their nappies till the day you die. You'll be cleaning up their messes, stinky messes. That is doing them a huge disservice. People respond to responsibility. E. 
and the ABCs of growth, you help them establish, which is the most important point of all Christian education, establish godly character. That's the E in the ABCs of growth. You help them acquire knowledge. You help them broaden their perspective. You help them cultivate conviction. You develop them skills. And E is established godly character. That is the goal of Christian education. Can you see why it's really stupid just to stay on a knowledge level? That's just the basis. Ephesians 4.23 says this. Take on an entirely different way of life. A God-fashioned life, renewed from the inside and working itself into your conduct. See, it's behaviors, but it starts with beliefs and comes out in behaviors as God accurately reproduces his character in you. So God there wants to develop in you the character of Christ. Now can I say this? Maturity... Christian maturity and a Christian, uh, a mature Christian character takes time to develop. Just like it mentions in Galatians 4, just like a mother in childbirth, I feel the same kind of pain for you until Christ's nature, that's his character, is formed in you. So how do you develop kids? How do you develop them? How do you help them establish and develop character? There are many ways, but I want to give you quickly two as we finish up. How do you help people establish character? Number one, you protect their minds. You may want to write this down. What from? Evil thoughts, bad thoughts, trashy thoughts. The Bible says in Proverbs 15, 14, a wise person is hungry for truth while the fool feeds on trash. Now, would you agree there's a lot of trash in our media today? Yeah. Thank God for people like Bob McCoskey. Do you see what we're going to try and put on TV too? I think we're all pretty adult in here, just checking. People having sex on TV in a box. Idiotic. Did you see it? Many of you did. Thank God for Bob who stood up and said, Enough. And the whole bunch. I mean, this is crass. Where's our world going? Protect them. Even some movies that sometimes I actually have a heart attack when I some some Christian parents letting their kids see some of the stuff. I go, what the heck? Have you? Lost? Some people are so. Oh, I just want my kids to be exposed to it. Some people are so open-minded, their brains fell out on the floor. <laughs> some kids have no business seeing some movies, some books, some magazines. They should never, ever. By the way, you'll save them a whole bunch of nightmares. I know kids this big that were seeing Lord of the Rings. I'm going, what are you thinking? Not that there's anything wrong with that for adults, you know, age appropriate, but that is crazy. And you wonder why they're screaming their heads off in the middle of the night and you're not getting sleep. Sorry, I feel strongly about that. The Bible says we want to keep them innocent regarding evil so they may become mature in what is good. So you protect their minds, but you do not protect them from difficulty. Write that down, parents. Employers. You want to protect them from the evil if you want to build character, but you don't want to protect them from difficulty because that is how we grow. 
We grow through tough times. We build character by not having everything go our way. We grow character by having patience and persistence and diligence and determination and having things go wrong in our lives. But we pick ourselves up though the righteous fall seven times they get up again. Romans 5.4 says endurance, now that means hanging in through tough times. Anybody been through any tough times? Hang in through tough times. Endurance builds character. Which brings hope. You can't get character without endurance. Doesn't work. Now one of the worst things you could do for your kids is to bail them out. Get it? Get it? Good. Every time you bail them out, you are deliberately robbing them from character development. Now, I don't know about you, but I found that life can be hard. Does anybody join me on this journey? That's been your experience. Life can be hard. And if you're always bailing them out, this is what happens. When they get out on their own, if they ever get out of your house, they don't know that life is hard. And they don't know how to handle the tough stuff of life. So parents and grandparents, allow them to fail So protect them from evil, but do not protect them from the consequences of their own dumb decisions. They need to feel, ah, that didn't work. I thought it would, but that was painful. I'm not going to do that again. That hurt too much. That's a good learning lesson. So allow them to fail. Everybody in this world has to learn that decisions have consequences. Many parents that I know, as they look back, say this. If I had my time again, I would do less for my kids and I would have them do more for themselves. Notice what Jesus says here. Similar theme. I'm not asking that you take them out of the world, but keep them safe from the evil one. So Jesus said, God, I'm not asking you to spare them the difficulties and the difficult times, but I am asking you that you'll keep them safe from the evil one. And that's what you ought to pray as a parent, as a partner, as a peer, as a professional. You ought to pray those things as a mentor and a model and as a coach and a boss. Let me say it again as I finish. Studies have shown that the one determining factor in a child's life on whether they make it or don't, the main one is, is there a caring adult that has a good relationship with that child and it doesn't have to be a parent. So this week, as you're around somebody, any time that you're around somebody that's younger than you, ask yourself, which of these five areas can I help this person? Can I help them with some knowledge that I've got? Maybe some perspective. Maybe share a conviction I have. Or a skill. Or demonstrate godly character where most people will blow up. Who do you know that you could care about this week? Think about it particularly now. Who is there? A fellow employee, a younger adult, a child, a preschooler, a teenager. And we've got an amazing opportunity, even in our own areas, in All Stars or or Sparkles, to input into little lives. In fact, if you have a passion in that area to to contribute in those areas, catch up with Shiner straight after the service. 
which would be great. Truth of the matter is, much of our time is spent on doing things that don't really matter. For that matter now, they don't matter much in the light of eternity. What matters most is loving God and serving others. And serving God by loving others. Last verse, I didn't put in your outline, Galatians 5, 6. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. And that's why we're moving into this police plan. It helps us focus on what God says matters most. Would you pray? Father, you have given it us a period of time, so many days on this earth. Sometimes I fear that we spend a lot of time doing things that will never really matter in eternity. And I know for myself, I've wasted a lot of time. Would you, by your spirit, help us focus on what matters most? Like your word says, to serve you by serving others freely. Freely we received. Help us freely give. Help us focus our ministry in the marketplace. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen.